roaring laugh. The guard was already certain that we were guilty of nothing, but I was. Still being detained out of respect for the other victims I had inadvertently inconvenienced with my actions. Nobody was pressing charges, though, I suppose they figured asking restitution for crapping their pants wasn't the shrewdest of social moves. So I told him the truth. I was helping rebuild a goblin village, and we needed arms and clothing, as well as someone who could provide a little on-site guidance. The captain listened intently, some of his men chiming in, on occasion. They even asked Gobda a few questions, despite his darting eyes and bewildered expression. The next day, we were still in the guardroom. Gobda had borrowed another cell to sleep in, which I assumed he was still using. Having nothing better to do, I was watching some dwarven personnel run through morning training in the field behind the guardhouse, swinging heavy wooden swords around to work on their speed, sparring a bit in simulated combat, running a few laps, the usual. I sat there, taking it all in and imagining how they'd fare against the assorted creatures I had predated by this point. It was a bit like a game to me, but would the sage mind if I used it like this? Seems like kind of a waste of talent, but what the hell? It'll be fun. Turned out, the guards barely stood a chance. Even if I gave myself a handicap, there were only just a few of them who could beat the bat and the lizard. In a one-on-one -on -one matchup, the scales tipped pretty heavily toward the monsters, but since the dwarves always seemed to operate in teams of four to six, a few of the combined parties could take on the spider fairly well. Even all twenty of them out in the field couldn't take on the centipede, though. I wasn't expecting these guys to be special forces types, of course, so the results made sense to me. They were just about wrapped up by the time Gopta awoke. The captain checked in at around the same time. All right, he said, you're free to go. Sorry, I kept you in here for so long, I was beholden to keep you overnight, at least. Apologies. Oh, no, no. It saved me one night's hotel cost, at least. Glad you see it that way. Here, let me make it up to you. I can. Introduce you to a talented blacksmith I know. That would be perfect. Thank you. Things were looking up, finally. We just got priority entry, one. Inspection, schminspection, and we had some extra money to spend. I thought finding a weaponsmith who wouldn't rip me off at first sight would be a chore, too, but a military referral was about the best I could ask for. Maybe I can afford to be a bit optimistic after all. In exchange for that. MMM? A catch? The only catches I ever liked were the ones on porn. Sites. If you have any of those recovery potions left, would you be interested in letting go of them? Aha. Uh -huh. They must really be short on them, huh? That soldier mentioned. That yesterday. Well, I've got a ton I could sell you guys, but I don't really know the going rate. Now what? Ah, uh, why not? I had a manufacturing cost of exactly zero on those. Things anyway. If he wanted some, he could have some. All right, I replied. It'll depend on how many, though.
I need to keep. A few for myself, too. Any extras you're willing to part with are fine by me. Even if it's just. One. M.M.? Rather odd way of putting it, isn't it? I thought he was trying to. Rebuild the guard's stockpile. One's not going to be enough in a pinch, is it? Well, whatever. Maybe times were just that tough. Okay, um, well, how about five, then? Five. Ah, that'd be wonderful. Sure. Oh, also, I'm pretty sure they'll still work even if you dilute them. A little bit, all right? If it's just a regular slash wound, ten parts water to one. Part potion ought to do the trick. The captain nodded eagerly, fully convinced. I spat out my five potions, and he responded by giving me a small pouch. Inside, I could see a selection. Of gold coins. I know it's not much, he explained, but I hope you'll. Accept this. I'll give you five gold pieces, for each one of these. Twenty-five gold, then? Fine by me. I don't know if I'm undercutting. Myself or not, but I'm not in a position, to haggle. Better figure out how. Much that is, though, exactly. Um, if I could. Not enough? I'm doing my best here, sir. No, no. The price is perfectly fine, but I needed to ask you. Huh? It is? So. So what did you need? Ooh. Mmm, that's not a good reaction. So I'm being ripped off after. All? I knew I should have started higher. Oh well. The captain seems like a nice enough guy. I doubt he's fleecing me that badly. I'm sorry to admit it, but I'm not exactly sure what this money is. Worth, or what prices are even like around here. If you could give me. Some guidance, that would really help. I'm just a slime, besides. Way to contradict yesterday's magical girl saga, man. Good thing he. Apparently never bought it in the first place. We wound up having a long conversation before Gopta, and I set off. Soon, I was out in the fresh air of freedom again, but not before lunch. The. Captain insisted. I couldn't taste anything, but the appreciation was sweet, I guess. For the first time in a while, I enjoyed a meal. Ugh. Why do I have to be so busy? Kaijin the dwarf grumbled to himself. What do they mean, the Eastern Empire might be on the move? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. He had reason to doubt it. Peace had reigned over the kingdom for three hundred years. The empire had all the riches it could ever want, what? Motivation, could it possibly have to stage an invasion? That was what he didn't understand. Of course, Kaijin added to himself, I doubt the weaponsmiths of this city would mind a good war to fill their coffers. But, arg, why is my work so busy all of a sudden? And that wasn't his only problem. He scowled. Curse that damned minister. He rubbed his forehead as he imagined himself taking a hammer to the man and sighed. A lot of sighing. Lately, there wasn't much time left. A refusal would damage his reputation. I can't do it wouldn't be an excuse. He was waiting for some of his friends. 
to get back to him, and depending on their reports, all could be lost. He had built a decent name for himself as a weaponsmith, but he wasn't. Omnipotent. What kind of smith could craft weapons without any raw materials to work with? Finally, he heard the news he had been waiting for. Sorry, one said as he came through the door. We wanted to contact you yesterday, but we ran into one heck of a distraction. They were three men, dwarves, all brothers, the trio Kaijin had. Assigned mining duties, too. The eldest was Garm, an armor crafter with long, muscular arms. The middle child was Dold, who was known around the kingdom for his intricate handiwork. The youngest, Mildo, rarely spoke, but was skillful at almost anything he did, architecture, art, you name it. A sort of savant. Any one of them could have been talented enough to run a successful business by himself, but they all had a critical disadvantage. Outside of their individual God-given talents, they were utterly hopeless, barely capable of dressing themselves without an instruction manual. None of them had a head for business or laying the groundwork for a successful career. They seemed to prefer letting other people use them instead. That was how they wound up entrusting their shop to someone who stole it from them, falling into the trap of an apprentice jealous of their natural talent, getting bullied by the government after they botched a ministerial request. In the end, with nowhere else to go, they turned to Kaijin, an old friend and practically a fourth brother to them in their youth. He wished they had called on him sooner, but that was neither here nor there, they needed some place to lie low, and he could use some help. Around the shop. The only problem was that Kaijin had no work for them. He was a merchant dealing in battle gear, and he already had steady connections for all his merchandise except the weapons. Those he made himself, and he figured he could keep the trio busy making the rest of his lineup, but he couldn't have them start immediately, telling his armor and accessory contacts out of the blue that their services were no longer needed would lead to easily avoidable trouble. Until things settled down a little, he would have to continue with business as usual. Instead, with few other options available, Kaijin was having them direct a team of laborers as they mined for ore and other materials. The brothers had arrived in Kaijin's shop with a wild story about a monster. It was the last thing he wanted to hear. He rubbed his forehead. Well, at least you're all fine, he told them. Glad you got away before. You were hurt at all. And he was. If they weren't injured, they could go right back to war. Collecting. His friend's safety was naturally important, but, still. The three bothers gave each other awkward looks. Well, we didn't get away, exactly. No. In fact, we can still hardly believe what happened to us yesterday. Doubt I need to go into detail on what happened to them. My magic sense skill started picking up on the dwarven security force. Running our way. It's over, I whispered. Over, indeed. I looked down at them, wondering how they were ever going to clean up their undergarments after. This, trying to keep my new reality at bay for just a few more moments. I'm really sorry about this. 
I bowed deeply, or intended to, anyway, inside the guardroom. After the ruckus we had caused, there was no way security was going to let the lot of us off with a slap on the wrist. After only a few moments, a squadron of guards was surrounding us. Well, me, really, given how unconscious the other five were. I know. I thought. I'll just turn into a slime and slink off. And I tried to. But before I could move, they grabbed me en masse and, squish, lifted me up. So much for that. The soldiers flashed me their best, no struggling, now, smiles. The sweat running down their foreheads, however, indicated the effort they had to expend to make this arrest. W. Wait. I shouted, doing my best frenzied gobta impression. We didn't do anything. We're the victims here. All right, all right, came the smiling reply. We'll hear you out in the guardroom. Can't expect to run off after that, now can you? Not much else I can do, I guess. What's Gopta doing? I glanced back, only to find he still had his eyes closed and his hands over his ears. Oh, four. What is he thinking? He's not, clearly. He's too stupid to. At least he. Takes orders well. Luckily, I managed to shout loudly enough to attract his attention. Before long, we were all on our merry way to the security guard's office. So here's what happened. 1. I got accosted. 2. I turned into a wolf. 3. I kind of held a little. Whatcha think? Not my fault, right? I thought as I glanced at the soldier. Standing above me. He was still smiling at me. The expression suited this gruff, friendly-looking dwarf and his long, bushy beard. Except for those unfortunate veins. Popping out of his forehead. Um, why did you take me along with you, officer? You damned fool. What do you think you're saying? Our chiefs are. Yelling at us, because you were accosted. What? Really? I'm sorry. I've messed up again, haven't I? Well, there's nothing to be done about it this time, but try to be a bit. More careful, all right? Phew. Guess they finally saw the light. Good thing my blame. Everyone else skill from my human years was still going strong. It was an advanced ability, earned only after years of life experience. The key was to never give your foe a single moment to doubt you. It was hard. And maybe I phrased it a bit jokily, but my account pretty well summarized the whole thing. It sounded as though the witnesses they talked to said the same thing. So what was that wolf, then, the soldier watching over me asked. What's he mean, what is it? Um, the species, you mean? It's a... No, not the name. What I mean is, why did that kind of monster show? Up around here? Where'd it come from, where'd it go? I wanna hear... Everything you know. MMM? I told him that was just mimicry. He didn't believe me? I thought I was pretty open with him. I knew it was standard procedure for a hero to hide his secret identity, but I wasn't exactly a hero anyway. Well, I told you. That was just me transformed. Huh? 
Look, it's already rare for a slime to talk, and you want me to add. Shape-shifting to the package, too? No, I mean. Look, would you like me to show you? Hmph, <laughs> nah, it's fine. But if you can shape-shift, how is that possible? You're a slime, aren't you? That. Wait. How should I answer that? I don't think he'd buy it if I just said it's an intrinsic, or whatever. That'd just put me on the same level as Gopta. Think, man. You gotta come up with a decent excuse, now. Well, I was actually cursed. My talents must have sparked some. Jealously, I guess. I'm capable of wielding illusory magic. Oh, really? A curse, is it? Then what? Then, um... Well, I know a few illusory spells, but I was still just a student at the time, so this evil mage turned me into a slime. I'm on a journey to find a way to undo the curse, and, um, that's pretty much it. Why'd you run into an evil wizard, then? Why'd he curse you instead? Of just killing you? NNNGH. This would go a lot easier if you'd just believe me, man. You. Don't have to be so obstinate about it though I guess I'd be, too. If he actually bought my story, that'd make him more gullible than a goblin. This little back and forth between me and the soldier went on for another two hours or so. By the end of our intensive debate, I had just about an entire novel's worth of backstory. A story about a forlorn young and beautiful girl brutally transformed into a slime by an evil mage. In the midst of our tit-for-tat, if you want to call it that, the soldiers. Questions helped me weave a grand story of heroic tragedy in my mind. I was a young prodigy, a girl inherently gifted in the arts of transformation. And illusory magic. A cruel which had cast a terrible spell on me, and I was. Traveling to rid myself of the curse. Why did this have to happen? And why did I turn myself into a magical girl along the way? And the worst part of it was, whenever I said something that wandered off script, the soldier's next question would help me fix the mistake. Oh, right. I'd say to myself as the tale meandered its merry way down the path. By the end of it, both myself and the soldier were enthralled, hoping against hope that the girl would somehow succeed on her quest. Our eyes burned with passion, at least, his did. Truly, we had a connection that went beyond mere words. All right. That's it for the report. Thank you for your cooperation. But we're going to need to slam. Before the soldier could finish, the large door behind him opened. Another soldier rushed in. Yes, sir. An armorsaurus just showed up in the mines. It's already injured. Several miners at their posts. What? Well, did you defeat it? We're good there. A suppression force is on its way. But some of the miners are fairly roughed up. I don't know if there's a war underway or something, but the city shops are out of medicine and the castle won't let us access their stockpile. What about our healers? That's the thing, sir. 
the injured were deep inside, mining magic ore. The healers at the guardhouse are all out handling other calls, so all we have left is a single novice. Ah, damn it all. Sounds rough. Not that I care. Just take some from the castle, if it's that important. I thought, but I do have a few potions on me, though. What should I do? It wasn't as if I expected the gesture to testify to my character and get me off the hook. We just need to make the world a better place is all. I know. It sounds fishy coming from me, but compassion is its own best reward, and all that. I'll get karma back for it someday. Um, sir. Sir. What? I'm busy. I'm done with you for now, but I can't let you go yet. Stay in this room until things calm down a little. No, not that, um. I've got this. I took a recovery potion out. Or spat it out, is the way he probably saw. It. Um, what's that? A recovery potion. Drink it, rub it in, it's high quality. Eh? What's a slime like you doing with that? Oh, come on. What happened to my story? Why is he treating me like a slime again? He was egging me on during that entire interrogation, wasn't he? Not that I wasn't an eager participant, but... That kind of doesn't matter right now, does it? Go ahead, try it. How? Many do you need? We've got six men down, but are you sure? The soldier who'd just stormed in gave me a quizzical stare, if I were. Him, I probably wouldn't take a potion from a monster, either. TCH. Stay here, alright? Let's go. Um? But, Captain, that's a monster. Enough from you. Just take me over to them. The bushy-bearded captain snatched up the six recovery potions I provided and ran off. What with the grand fantasy tale we'd just woven, I supposed I had gained his trust somewhat. Maybe he was a nice guy after. All. Didn't expect him to be a full-fledged captain, though. Is it over? Gopta asked after silently nodding at everything I'd said. Before now. No, but I guess we'll sit here and see what happens. Got it, sir. Then we stared into space. The soldiers who peeked in on occasion would give us confused looks, but otherwise, not much happened for an hour. I was practicing my sticky thread moves a bit when I heard the captain's heavy footsteps. The silken whip zipped back into my body as I waited for him to come in. Gopta was asleep, proving that maybe he was smarter than I was all along. Thank you, sir, the bearded captain thundered as he stormed into the Room, head bowed, the miners filed in behind him. You're the one with the potions? Thanks a ton. My arm was pretty torn up. I didn't think I'd ever work again, even if I survived. Thank you. The last guy didn't say anything before they all left, but I was fairly sure. He was thankful, too. Glad to see the potions worked. By this time, it was past sunset. It was almost fully dark outside when the captain started talking with me again, seriously, this time. It turned out the quintet who'd tried taking me on were members of this 
Nations Free Guild. They had talent, but they also had a prior reputation as rabble-rousers. That ought to teach him a lesson, the captain said with a. As the group took their evening meal at the end of the second day, I decided to ask Gopta about the dwarven kingdom we were headed toward. Why yes, sir. Um, it is officially known as the armed nation of Dwargan. Their leader is known as the heroic king, and something about his shouty reply indicated that my speaking to him made him terribly nervous. I was afraid he'd bite his tongue in his panic. According to Gopta's account, the current king was Gazel Dwargo, third. In his line from the original. A great hero, one whose might and presence made the elder dwarves recall his grandfather in his younger years, but also an intelligent one who ruled his realm with a steady, even hand. A living hero, in a way. It had been a thousand years since Guren Dwargo, the first heroic king of the dwarves, established this kingdom. Since then, his descendants had carried on his will, preserving and developing his people's history, culture, and technical skill. In a nutshell, that was Dwargan. Given how long its kings apparently lived, it must have been a hell of a place. Hearing about it got me excited. In that case, I asked, how much longer will it take, Gopta? If I had to guess, we should arrive by the morrow, sir. The mountains are starting to loom high. He was right. The peaks weren't even visible until yesterday. We were advancing at an astounding clip. I've just thought of something, Gopta, what errand brought you there? In the first place? I thought you had merchants visiting the village. Regularly. As far as I had heard from Rigard, there were bands of kobolds, who stopped by on regular occasions. Why would a goblin want to take the two-month journey over here, then? Why yes, sir. The dwarves pay high prices for magical weapons and armor, you see. They paid us with tools and such, but the merchants helped me carry them back, thankfully. None of the monsters around the village could use that magical gear anyway. Aha. Uh -huh. So they sold the weapons and stuff they found off passing. Adventurers? No wonder there was nothing decent left at the village. He must have carted it all to the dwarven kingdom because the kobolds didn't have any way of appraising it on sight. Of course, any adventurers who'd lose to a bunch of goblins almost certainly must have been utter beginners, so inexperienced that they couldn't even use a compass to keep from stumbling into monster villages. I doubted any of their gear could have been worth much. Plus, Rigor added to Gopta's roundabout reply, all the goods the dwarves make, the weapons, mainly, it's top-notch. Even the humans recognize it as the best make in the land, and they gather at the kingdom, too. Seek out the latest works along with the subraces and intelligent monsters. It's been tradition for years now, and all conflict between races is prohibited. There, in the name of the king. So we were traveling there less to sell some junk and more to buy the tools they needed. The fact that they could do so on neutral turf, without getting laughed at by the other monsters, must have been another attraction. Such an arrangement, Rigor continued, is made possible by the 
armed nation's astonishing military might. As far as the cobalt merchants told me, the dwarven armies have not tasted defeat in a full millennium. The kingdom enjoyed the defenses of a massive, powerful, magic-driven army corps and a wall of heavily armed infantry. Any would-be attackers would find themselves first blocked by the infantry, then turned into dust by a rain of offensive magic. The equipment that backed up such an offensive juggernaut must have been very high-tech indeed, for this world. As Rigor put it, it was overwhelmingly superior to any human-made weapons or armor. I doubted anyone had the guts to mess with them at this point. It'd be the intelligent thing for a nearby nation to try to stay on their friendly side. No wonder. None of their visitors were stupid enough to squabble with any other monsters within their territory. Still, dealing with any species, regardless of what they look like, the dwarves must be pretty chill dudes. Maybe I could make a few connections. Myself. In fact, I'd better. This was a realm where people intermingled freely with monsters. A land that began with the surface city and extended down, down, down. A kingdom armed to the hilt that walked the path of peace. No place in the world boasted as many weaponsmiths and merchants, and yet it sounded like the farthest point in the universe from any kind of conflict. A bit ironic, maybe. The way the dwarven kingdom was starting to sound from these conversations, I couldn't wait to arrive. Exactly three days after we began our journey, we reached the grasslands at the foot of the Canots. The city truly was beautiful, chiseled into the vast mountain cavern, a natural fortress created by nature. It was the armed nation of Dwargan in all its mighty glory. And, of course, there was a line to get in. The front gate was enormous, built to block free entry into the vast cave. Opening. This gate opened only whenever the army went inside or out, and that, I heard, happened just once a month. Today it was firmly closed, but at the bottom of the great doors were two small entryways meant for regular traffic. The right-hand one had nobody in front of it, probably meant for the nobility or any other lofty figures who showed up. The door we were waiting for was on the left, and while some people bore passes that allowed them free entry, others had to undergo luggage checks in a separate chamber. All of this, of course, was guarded by a security detail whose equipment certainly reminded you that this was the armed nation. They weren't clowning around. Once you were through security, you were pretty free to do what you wanted around the city, it seemed, but man, what a line. We were bound to spend more time waiting than traveling at this rate. Guess we're really here, huh? A nearby traveler ventured as I scanned the line of people down the corridor. That's a fancy gate. Look at the armor on that soldier, his companion exclaimed. We probably couldn't afford gear like that after ten years on my salary. Yeah, I'll bet. Even the Eastern Empire tries to keep things peaceful. With these guys, in public, at least. With that kind of equipment, I see. Why? You said it. They sure ain't gonna give you a second chance if you try. Anything. 
the blowback would be one hell of a headache for any nation that tried it. Maybe the dwarves of this world weren't the kind, gentle, almost lovable beings I was picturing. They could be a lot more violent than that, for all I knew. Still, as a free city and a hub of trade across races and species, it maintained at least a public face of neutrality. The fact that the heroic king never allowed combat inside the city was fairly common. Knowledge among adventurers. I supposed that even in this world, you could afford to be neutral only if you had the muscle to back it up. As I mused over this, I began hearing some more sinister voices. Hey, hey, check it out, there are monsters out here. We can kill em, right? We aren't inside yet. Yeah, what the hell were you guys standing in line for? You think we're gonna let Cha do that, you little runts? Give me your spot before we kill you. And leave your crap there, too, alright? Then we'll let Cha go. I figured they had to be out of their minds, but then again, it was just me. And Gobda. A bunch of loincloth goblins riding gigantic wolves would have been bound to stir up at least a little attention, and not the good kind, so I'd decided to go in solo with my guide. Rigor had wanted to join me, but I'd turned him down. They were all camped out at the forest entrance now, waiting for our return. Which left the two of us. I'm sure we looked as if we had giant targets painted on our asses. Now this pair of adventurers was accosting us, whining about not liking our faces, or whatever. Hey, did you hear something, Gobda? Yes, I did. Did you run into any trouble last time you were here? Of course I did, sir. Ooh, they beat me silly. The cobalt merchants had to pick me up off the ground. Might have died if they didn't, eh? They did, huh? So we can't avoid this? It is, uh, the fate of the weak. He'd all but expected it. Sheesh, could have told me beforehand. Gopta. Hung his head, realizing what was in store for him. He was finally getting. Comfortable talking to me. I was a bit worried this threat would make him. Flee back into his shell again. Yo. You think you runts got a right to ignore us? Hey, isn't a talking slime pretty rare? Maybe we could get some money. Out of selling it, the adventurers kept yapping at us. People, maybe could have, said I, had the patience of a saint back home, but this was starting to irk me. Gopta. You remember the rules I gave you all before? Why yes, sir. Absolutely. Good. In that case, could you close your eyes and cover your ears for me? No peeking. Um. All right, but. Right. Laying out some simple rules for my people, then promptly. Violating every single one of them three days later wouldn't exactly make. Me a role model. But with Gopta out of my hair, I was free once more to. Take out the garbage. Just then, the hostile adventurer on the right shifted his gaze, and I followed it. It led to another group, a trio, grinning as they watched the spectacle unfold. One of my adversaries carried a sword, the other was clad in light armor. Bandits, I figured. 
The other three consisted of two robed figures, wizards, or monks or something, and a big, brawny fighter. If I had to guess, they were all in the same party, and these two were sent over to chase us out and nab our position in line while the other three finished us off and joined the others as if nothing had happened. That kind of thing. A neat and easy way to pick off the weaker monsters and take their possessions. Nicely planned. Too bad they picked the wrong target. As the group took their evening meal at the end of the second day, I decided to ask Gobda about the dwarven kingdom we were headed toward. Why yes, sir. Um, it is officially known as the Armed Nation of Dwargan. Their leader is known as the Heroic King, and something about his shouty reply indicated that my speaking to him made him terribly nervous. I was afraid he'd bite his tongue in his panic. According to Gopta's account, the current king was Gazel Dwargo, third in his line from the original. A great hero, one whose might and presence made the elder dwarves recall his grandfather in his younger years, but also an intelligent one who ruled his realm with a steady, even hand. A living hero, in a way. It had been a thousand years since Guerin Dwargo, the first heroic king of the dwarves, established this kingdom. Since then, his descendants had carried on his will, preserving and developing his people's history, culture, and technical skill. In a nutshell, that was Dwargan. Given how long its kings apparently lived, it must have been a hell of a place. Hearing about it got me excited. In that case, I asked, how much longer will it take, Gobda? If I had to guess, we should arrive by the morrow, sir. The mountains are starting to loom high. He was right. The peaks weren't even visible until yesterday. We were advancing at an astounding clip. I've just thought of something, Gobda, what errand brought you there? In the first place? I thought you had merchants visiting the village. Regularly. As far as I had heard from Rigard, there were bands of kobolds, who stopped by on regular occasions. Why would a goblin want to take the two-month journey over here, then? Why yes, sir. The dwarves pay high prices for magical weapons and armor, you see. They paid us with tools and such, but the merchants helped me carry them back, thankfully. None of the monsters around the village could use that magical gear anyway. Aha. Uh -huh. So they sold the weapons and stuff they found off passing. Adventurers? No wonder there was nothing decent left at the village. He must have carted it all to the dwarven kingdom because the kobolds didn't have any way of appraising it on sight. Of course, any adventurers who'd lose to a bunch of goblins almost certainly must have been utter beginners, so inexperienced that they couldn't even use a compass to keep from stumbling into monster villages. I doubted any of their gear could have been worth much. Plus, Rigor added to Gopta's roundabout reply, all the goods the dwarves make, the weapons, mainly, it's top-notch. Even the humans recognize it as the best make in the land, and they gather at the kingdom, too. Seek out the latest works along with the subraces and intelligent monsters. It's been tradition for years now, 
and all conflict between races is prohibited. There, in the name of the king. So we were traveling there less to sell some junk and more to buy the tools they needed. The fact that they could do so on neutral turf, without getting laughed at by the other monsters, must have been another attraction. Such an arrangement, rigor continued, is made possible by the armed nation's astonishing military might. As far as the cobalt merchants told me, the dwarven armies have not tasted defeat in a full millennium. The kingdom enjoyed the defenses of a massive, powerful, magic-driven army corps and a wall of heavily armed infantry. Any would-be attackers would find themselves first blocked by the infantry, then turned into dust by a rain of offensive magic. The equipment that backed up such an offensive juggernaut must have been very high-tech indeed, for this world. As Rigor put it, it was overwhelmingly superior to any human-made weapons or armor. I doubted anyone had the guts to mess with them at this point. It'd be the intelligent thing for a nearby nation to try to stay on their friendly side. No wonder. None of their visitors were stupid enough to squabble with any other monsters within their territory. Still, dealing with any species, regardless of what they look like? The dwarves must be pretty chill dudes. Maybe I could make a few connections. Myself. In fact, I'd better. This was a realm where people intermingled freely with monsters. A land that began with the surface city and extended down, down, down. A kingdom armed to the hilt that walked the path of peace. No place in the world boasted as many weaponsmiths and merchants, and yet it sounded like the farthest point in the universe from any kind of conflict. A bit ironic, maybe. The way the dwarven kingdom was starting to sound from these conversations, I couldn't wait to arrive. Exactly three days after we began our journey, we reached the grasslands at the foot of the Canots. The city truly was beautiful, chiseled into the vast mountain cavern, a natural fortress created by nature. It was the armed nation of Dwargan in all its mighty glory. And, of course, there was a line to get in. The front gate was enormous, built to block free entry into the vast cave. Opening. This gate opened only whenever the army went inside or out, and that, I heard, happened just once a month. Today it was firmly closed, but at the bottom of the great doors were two small entryways meant for regular traffic. The right-hand one had nobody in front of it, probably meant for the nobility or any other lofty figures who showed up. The door we were waiting for was on the left, and while some people bore passes that allowed them free entry, others had to undergo luggage checks in a separate chamber. All of this, of course, was guarded by a security detail whose equipment certainly reminded you that this was the armed nation. They weren't clowning around. Once you were through security, you were pretty free to do what you wanted around the city, it seemed, but man, what a line. We were bound to spend more time waiting than traveling at this rate. Guess we're really here, huh? A nearby traveler ventured as I scanned the line of people down the corridor. That's a fancy gate. Look at the armor on that soldier, his companion exclaimed. 
we probably couldn't afford gear like that after 10 years on my salary. Yeah, I'll bet. Even the Eastern Empire tries to keep things peaceful. With these guys, in public, at least. With that kind of equipment, I see. Why? You said it. They sure ain't gonna give you a second chance if you try. Anything. The blowback would be one hell of a headache for any nation that tried it. Maybe the dwarves of this world weren't the kind, gentle, almost lovable beings I was picturing. They could be a lot more violent than that, for all I knew. Still, as a free city and a hub of trade across races and species, it maintained at least a public face of neutrality. The fact that the heroic king never allowed combat inside the city was fairly common. Knowledge among adventurers. I supposed that even in this world, you could afford to be neutral only if you had the muscle to back it up. As I mused over this, I began hearing some more sinister voices. Hey, hey, check it out, there are monsters out here. We can kill them, right? We aren't inside yet. Yeah, what the hell were you guys standing in line for? You think we're gonna let Cha do that, you little runts? Give me your spot before we kill you. And leave your crap there, too, alright? Then we'll let Cha go. I figured they had to be out of their minds, but then again, it was just me. And Gobda. A bunch of loincloth goblins riding gigantic wolves would have been bound to stir up at least a little attention, and not the good kind, so I'd decided to go in solo with my guide. Rigor had wanted to join me, but I'd turned him down. They were all camped out at the forest entrance now, waiting for our return. Which left the two of us. I'm sure we looked as if we had giant targets painted on our asses. Now this pair of adventurers was accosting us, whining about not liking our faces, or whatever. Hey, did you hear something, Gobda? Yes, I did. Did you run into any trouble last time you were here? Of course I did, sir. Ooh, they beat me silly. The cobalt merchants had to pick me up off the ground. Might have died if they didn't, eh? They did, huh? So we can't avoid this? It is, uh, the fate of the weak. He'd all but expected it. Sheesh, could have told me beforehand. Gopta hung his head, realizing what was in store for him. He was finally getting comfortable talking to me. I was a bit worried this threat would make him flee back into his shell again. Yo. You think you runts got a right to ignore us? Hey, isn't a talking slime pretty rare? Maybe we could get some money. Out of selling it, the adventurers kept yapping at us. People, maybe could have, said I, had the patience of a saint back home, but this was starting to irk me. Gopta. You remember the rules I gave you all before? Why yes, sir. Absolutely. Good. In that case, could you close your eyes and cover your ears for me? No peeking. Um. All right, but. Right. Laying out some simple rules for my people, then promptly. Violating every single one of them three days later wouldn't exactly make me a role model. 
but with Gopta out of my hair, I was free once more to take out the garbage. Just then, the hostile adventurer on the right shifted his gaze, and I followed it. It led to another group, a trio, grinning as they watched the spectacle unfold. One of my adversaries carried a sword, the other was clad in light armor. Bandits, I figured. The other three, consisted of two robed figures, wizards. Or monks, or something, and a big, brawny fighter. If I had to guess, they were all in the same party, and these two were sent over to chase us out and nab our position in line while the other three finished us off and joined the others as if nothing had happened. That kind of thing. A neat and easy way to pick off the weaker monsters and take their possessions. Nicely planned. Too bad they picked the wrong target. Chapter 3 Through the Dwarven Kingdom as he'd so boldly proclaimed a day earlier, Rigard had everything I needed. That afternoon. He had even chosen the team members for my expedition. Into the Dwarven Kingdom already. By the way, did Rigor really have to be our expedition leader, too? I was. A little concerned about that, but he seemed to be all for it. Well, his father did recover his youthful looks and the enthusiasm to go. With it. Maybe I was worrying too much. Once I picked up my luggage, Ranga eagerly allowed me onto his back. I boinged myself up and nestled into his fur. There was a lot more fuzz then. I thought, and it sure did wonders for comfort. I braced my body with sticky thread to keep from falling. Not having any arms or legs was a real pain at times like these, but at least I had the skills to do something about it. Gotta use the tools you have on hand. I had actually been practicing a bit with my silk during the off hours. What red-blooded hero hasn't wanted to slap his enemies down with a lightning-quick whip strike? I didn't know if I could yet, exactly, but I had. Time. Practice makes perfect. My luggage primarily consisted of money and food, three days' worth. If we took longer than that, we'd have to forage a bit. We could have brought. Along some hardier rations, that'd keep over longer periods of time, but I wanted to travel light, if I could. Not that I couldn't just swallow whatever up and bring it along, but I didn't want to get soft. I didn't need food anyway. On the monetary side, we had seven silver pieces and twenty-four bronze pieces. Even I could tell that wasn't much. My expectations weren't high, though, so that was fine. We'd just figure out what to do once we showed up. For a goblin on foot, it would apparently take around two months to walk to the Dwarven Kingdom. We would be largely following the Great Ameld River, which flowed through the forest, up to its source in a mountain range. That held the settlement we sought. These were the Kanat Mountains, which neatly separated the Empire too the east and the small litter of nations here and there around the forest of Jura. There were, by and large, three trade routes that ran between the two pockets of civilization. One put you right through the forest, another was a more treacherous route through the mountains, the third was by sea. The Jura route would normally be the shortest and safest, but for some reason, it was only rarely taken advantage of, most travelers challenged the 
mountains instead, what with the travel costs and potential sea monster. Interference a ship route presented. In addition to these three routes, there were a handful of other ways to reach the Dwarven Kingdom, but they all charged tolls. This was mandatory, supposedly to keep people from transporting dangerous goods. Along the paths, it was a decent enough option for small bands, but the larger caravans avoided them for the costs and time involved. They were safe, no doubt, and we'd have to consider one of them later, depending on how our finances held out. We had no business with the Empire, so there was no point traveling east to leave the woods. It was straight north to the Canots. We wouldn't have to go up to any peaks, at least, the kingdom was situated at the base of the mountains, in the upper reaches of the Great Ameld. A beautiful hub of civilization, by the sound of it, built into a gigantic natural cavern. That was the Dwarven Kingdom. So we followed the plan, tracing the Great Ameld River's route. Northward. It certainly kept us from getting lost. I had a map in my brain. Anyway, just in case. We had a guide with us, Gobda, who apparently ran a trip of his own to the kingdom once, so we followed his lead, and I took. Up the rear. These black wolves are fast. And they never seem to tire at all. We had been going for about three hours without a single break, and we had to be averaging nearly 50 miles per hour the whole way. We had a few rocky outcroppings to navigate now and then, but they sure didn't care. And this was all while making sure we stayed balanced on their backs. It made the trip a breeze for us. At this pace, we might not even need a week for the whole trip. Not that. I was in a hurry. I wanted to work out the housing and clothing situation. Back at the village, but that wasn't a problem we could solve in a night and a day regardless. Hey! I shouted. Don't wear yourself out, now. Ranga, for some reason, up to speed a little. I had spent the past three or so hours enjoying the wind and the motorcycle-like sense of speed, but I was starting to get a little bored. Trying to converse in these conditions would normally be impossible, but not with the thought communication skill I stole from the direwolf boss. Maybe it'd be fun to chat up the gang while I took in the journey. In my mind, I formed the required network of thought. Right, what to talk about. Hey, um, Rigger, by the way, who was it that named your brother, anyway? Ah, thank you for recalling my name, Sir Ramuru. My brother was named by a passing member of the Magicborn races. Oh? One of them visited a random goblin village? Indeed, Sir Ramuru, about a decade ago. I was still a child. He spent several days in my village, and he claimed to see something in my brother, in his words. Huh. Must have been a nice brother. Oh, absolutely. He was my pride and joy. Sir Gelmud, the one who bestowed the name, said it himself. I would love to have you among my men, he said. But he didn't take him along on his journey? No, Sir Ramuru. He was still young at the time. Sir Gelmud said he 
would return in several years, once he was stronger, and then he set off. Oh. Bet he'll be pretty surprised at how much everything's changed. When he gets back. I imagine so, yes. Now, though, we serve you, Sir Ramuru. We may not. Be able to follow Sir Jelmud to his honorable demon horde, but... Demon horde? Wow, he's got one of those, huh? You sure he would've been willing to invite the rest of you guys, too? I am rather positive, actually. My brother evolved himself as a named monster, but the changes that wrought were nothing compared to what you provided us. Clearly, this evolution was on a different caliber. Heavens, I thought I would never hear the world language once in my life. Such an honor. The hobgobs listening in on us all nodded their earnest agreement. That kind of thing, huh? Naming someone evolves them, but how it turns out depends on the namer. I'd love to recruit someone to help me experiment on that a bit. We could have a name off. But, dang. A real-life demon horde. I knew there had to be one of those. Around here. Is the king of all demons going to attack us sooner or later? Actually, which side should we be on if that happens? Maybe I should save. That question for when it actually comes up, if it ever does. I already know there's at least one hero out there, besides, so I'm sure. That king or whatever's gonna be mostly focused on whoever that is. Not too. Sure, the one Veldora told me about is alive after three centuries of retirement, but given how easy it apparently is to transmigrate and revive. And so on around here, something tells me she's still up in some mountain. Shack right now, training away. Better make a mental note of that Jelmud guy, at least. Now, next. Question. Ranga. I called out to the black wolf that was suddenly my biggest fan. In the universe. I'm kind of the guy who killed your father, aren't I? You. Don't have any lingering, you know, resentment about that? I do have thoughts about it, my master. But to a monster, victory or defeat in battle is the only absolute in life. No matter how it turns out, we are aware of the fact that might makes right. Win, and the day is yours lose, and nothing shall remain. But, not only did my master forgive, he even gave me my once and future name for all time. I am filled with thankfulness, not resentment. Hmm. Well, if you want a rematch, I'm open any time. Heh heh heh. But, indeed, my evolution has made it all the clearer in my mind. If you had unleashed your full force in our previous battle, the whole of the pack would have been wiped out. We would have been lost to the winds of time, never able to realize our dreams of evolution. Our loyalty, our devotion, belongs to our one true master alone. All, right? Certainly, in black snake form, I might have been able to do em all in. With one breath. But I didn't want to have to try anything so risky. He's really thinking way too highly of me. Not that I mind him having the wrong idea, but you realized that, eh? Guess you really have grown a little. Ahaha. Ah, 
It pleases me to hear such words, I nodded to myself. I mean, I killed his dad. There's no way he's not at. Least a little miffed about that. If Ranga wanted to exact his revenge. Someday, I'd gladly hold up my end of the bargain. He could definitely give. A black snake a run for his money, at least. We chatted a bit more as the road wore on. All of us were moving far, far ahead of schedule. Hey, you guys aren't going too fast for your own good, are you? I asked. Not a problem, Sir Ramuru. Rigor shot back. Thanks to our evolution, perhaps. We are not terribly fatigued at all. Do not worry, my master, added Ranga. We are not wholly freed from the bonds of sleep as you are, but we do not require an extended period of rest. Nor do we need frequent stops for food. It will be no obstacle, even if we fast, for several days. I scoped out the rest of the crew. They all looked just as gung-ho as when we set off. Sheesh, I'm probably the least enthused out of them all. And why shouldn't I be? I've got nothing to do up here. We wound up running, running, and running some more for around half the day. Talk about tough.